0: I was educated on a lot of things that I had just never considered before and one of those was kind of um, just the idea of race mattering. Mm-hmm. I've been asked in front of my daughter if she's my biological daughter and um, that's just not an appropriate question to ask. Of course I worry about their safety Um, And I worry about my husband's safety because I don't want my children to grow up without a dad because he was going five miles over the speed limit. Right.
1: What does a white woman raised in rural America teach her brown multi-ethnic children about racism? What concerns does she share with black mothers? How does colorism affect the varied shades of brown in their family? What does she hope the church will do to address racial injustice? These questions and more we'll explore while getting real, immersed in truth. Welcome to the Grit Podcast, getting real, immersed in truth, intersecting hard conversations with the gospel. We seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us. I'm your host, Rabrina Riddle, and this is episode three of our series, Conversations in Black and White. Today, I'm speaking to a white woman raising brown children. My guest is Colleen Dixon. She is a wife mom of five and a jazzercise instructor, and a believer that the gospel is for everyone. Colleen's husband, Mo, is a pastor. Colleen, thank you for agreeing to sit with me and have this conversation. I think it's an important one to have from your perspective. I kind of wanted to start off about some of the things we have in common. I always like to start with common ground. I always think that when people have common ground, it kind of brings them together. They have a common interest which the common interest should be enough that we are uh, followers of Christ, Mm -hmm. but it has been my experience. That's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I wanted to give a little background about us. So we met when we attended the same church. And uh, then you and your husband went to help plant a church. And uh, my kids actually started going to the uh, youth group there, and they really enjoyed it. And when I left my old church, I just started attending with them, uh, just to kind of check it out, because I knew you all, and to see what it was like. Uh, We are both in interracial marriages. Your husband is biracial. He recognizes he's seen as black, and my husband is white. We're moms of biracial or multi-ethnic children, and we believe in speaking truth with love. And as I mentioned before, we both agree that the gospel is for everyone. Okay. So Colleen, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, um, like your upbringing? And tell me about what experiences you had and diversity in your upbringing.
0: Yeah, so I was raised in North Platte, which is a community of about 25,000 people. So. Um, I guess it's small or large depending on who you're talking to. <laughs> um, I consider it a small town and um it was not a diverse community. Um I, you know, I was very much a part of only majority culture growing up. Um, I mean we knew people who were non-white, but I would say that um I had no close friends who weren't white.
1: Gotcha. So when you left home, uh, well, let's just talk about what your experiences were like when you began to experience um, people of color. Is that when you went to college or...
0: Um, you know, so this, the college I went to was again pretty homogenous. It was very much um, I would say people from smaller towns in Nebraska majority white um majority middle class upper middle class Mm. because it was a private college Mm -hmm. um so I didn't experience a ton of diversity in college but I was it was a liberal it's a it's a liberal university and so I was um I was educated on a lot of things that I had just never considered before and one of those was kind of um just the idea of race mattering. Like that had never been something that had been taught to me. And I took a class my freshman year. So when I was, I was 17 years old and I was learning for the first time that like my whiteness mattered Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: um, that there was like white and there was other and that made Mm -hmm. an impact on um, kind of everything. So that was my first. That was my first experience with with learning about race, really.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think this is an important conversation to have from your point of view, uh, because you met your husband, fell in love, got married, and now you all have uh, five children, and you're raising them uh, as you know a white woman without much experience with diversity. Mm -hmm. So how did you meet your husband?
0: Um, We met, we were both involved in um, a parachurch ministry. Um, Like I was, I was a student and he was a first year intern and we met my senior year of college Mm -hmm. and then we got married after I graduated.
1: Oh, okay. When did you, or did he, when did he begin to share some of his experiences with you, um, with his otherness? Uh-huh. that you had uh, learned about in America?
0: So when we first got married, um, I think that he had repressed a lot of his kind of um, racial identity. Like he had been really entrenched in conservative Christian culture for um like a few years prior to meeting me and so um i think he'd been taught and he had come to believe that his blackness as it's seen even though he is half white and half black but his blackness didn't matter and wasn't something that you know he was kind of taught the colorblind mentality yes and so um he started to believe that too. And so like race, wasn't something that came up a lot in the first, first couple of years of our marriage. Um, because we'd both been kind of, I guess, we'd both been taught to believe that it just shouldn't matter. Um, and so he would tell me stories about, um, different things going on when he was um, growing up, but he was, uh, his father is a drug addict. So a lot of the things that he would talk about, we could chalk up to just his dad being, you know, a drug addict and a criminal and not necessarily having to do with their race.
1: Colleen stated they didn't take into account the experiences that Mo's father had due to racism that took him down the road of drugs and criminal activity. It's something most of us don't think about. The anxiety, anger, sadness, lack of control and internalization of value affects many in this way. Some want to numb or escape the pain. Others try any way possible to take control of their environment. This is an unfortunate consequence to racism, especially in the time Mo's father grew up. This is by no means an excuse for his choices. It's merely a reality.
0: Um, so, um, yeah, it was just something that we didn't talk a lot about until, um, probably until, the last maybe six years, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, what what do you think brought about that change?
0: I think the um, I think the overwhelming presence of the the visions and the videos of people of color being. Murdered by police and other white individuals, and just attention being brought to that in the media for what we had noticed to be kind of um, the first time that this was really like becoming unearthed with, you know, everybody having camera phones. And mm-hmm. as we know, these things have been going on for a really long time. We are only now bringing attention to them because we have video of it. Right. So I think that kind of just woke us up basically.
1: Well, you know, I find that interesting cause I've had a couple of conversations um, with Mo, your husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he told me about some experiences that he had when he had gotten pulled over and yeah. that once it happened in front of the house in your neighborhood in front of the house and how he got out of the car because, He's in front of his house, so he's right. not thinking much of it. And the police officer asked him to step back inside his vehicle. Mm-hmm. When he, he had told me that. So I know he has had a few experiences himself with racial mm-hmm. profiling. Uh, when he began to share those experiences with you, what did you think or feel about that?
0: Um, it upsets me. And I always believe um I think there's a part of me that has been conditioned to question like, well, was it really that bad? Or did it actually happen like that? Or do you just think it happened like that? Um, but my husband's not a dramatic person. And so, um, I believe him and it makes me angry for him that, um, because it is true. Like we, um, I've told this story and he maybe told this story to you that, we were driving the same car that was that had no plates on it for about a month and i never once got pulled over and we were driving at about the same amount of frequency and he got pulled over i think three times within that month asking for just asking for proof that you know that he legally owned the vehicle because we didn't have plates on it. We didn't have in transit stuff. And so, um, and nobody ever asked me, nobody ever questioned me. And one, at one point I was being followed by a police officer and I didn't have my driver's license on me. It just happened this way that I had, we were coming home from church in separate vehicles and I had, um, given him the baby and the diaper bag and which had my wallet and my cell phone so i had really nothing on me but my car keys Mm -hmm. and i was driving this car that did not have plates and i didn't have my license on me or my cell phone or anything and i thought surely this is when i will get pulled over and i will just have to beg the officer to believe me that I am legally allowed to be driving and driving this car. And um, I was followed for maybe five or six blocks by a police officer and she never once pulled me over, but I don't know that it would have gone as well if it had been my husband.
1: Yes. Right. That's funny. I have a similar story. We travel, my family lives in Texas, so we travel back and forth to Texas, uh, maybe two times a year and one time on the way back i was driving and uh, my husband troy told me to you know speed up sure you can drive a little over the speed limit (laughs) and he and i went back and forth i'm not driving over the speed limit because i understand what happens when people who look like me drive over the speed limit and he kept their urging and so i like i went five over and sure enough i got pulled over uh-huh. And the police officer comes and he looks in the vehicle and he, you know, he was very nice and calm and asked for a license registration. And uh, my husband, you know, we're, he's like, what, what are you, where are you coming from? Cause he saw the kids and all the stuff in the back. we am coming from Texas. We just went to visit family and, you know, just a little tired. And then my husband started talking and the police just listened to him. He's like, yeah, we're just a little tired. We've been on the road for a while. And, He said okay well just make sure you maintain the speed limit and be safe and from that time on first i looked at him and i said i told you and he said yes you did (laughs) and then from that time on when we traveled he did not want me to drive yeah because now in his mind when she drives she gets pulled over yeah Uh, so yes it is a a wake-up call i think and to see the discrepancy and the difference of treatment is it's just very interesting Uh, when did you begin to notice racist behaviors or experience them for yourself
0: um so I think I don't see a lot of overt racism you know um, I just don't we live in the Midwest we're in Nebraska nice
1: It has been my experience that in the Midwest, racism is more covert. It's subtle and disguised instead of being overt and obvious. It's more passive and usually more subconscious. Racism isn't always a slur or a physical attack.
0: Um, I see a lot of racist ideas Mm -hmm. and racist language, um, specifically on social media. Um, Our family hasn't experienced a lot of racism um, because we fit really well into what people want us to be as far as, you know, we are, um, we fit really well into majority culture. Um, A lot of people will say things to Mo like, well, I don't even think of you as black. And um, they think it's a compliment, I would say that um, we did have some issues with our oldest, my stepson, when Mm -hmm. he was in a private school. Um, We had some problems (laughs) with um, some racist jokes and then people saying like, oh, come on. You know, when he would say, that's not funny to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And he would come home upset sometimes because he hurt his friends saying racist things thinking that he would either just let it go or that it didn't actually bother him Mm -hmm. um and it was so the um the morning after the 2016 election um i i i wept for a few reasons um But one of them was because I knew that he was going to go to school that day. And um, all of a sudden, it was okay to be racist Mm. because we had a racist man as our president now. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just let him know, today's going to be tough at school. Mm. And um, he never let us know if. It was tough, you know. Teenage boys are kind of—they keep their cards close to their chest. So, yeah. um, so I don't know for sure how how much he experienced. There's probably a lot of things that he didn't talk to us about. Mm-hmm. Um, But that's been the biggest. And then also, um, I wouldn't necessarily call it racism, but we experience a lot of ignorance when it comes to people talking to our family and asking questions. Mm -hmm. I've been asked in front of my daughter if she's my biological daughter. Mm -hmm. And um, that's just not an appropriate question to ask.
1: Um,
0: And I shouldn't have to answer that in front of her in particular. Um, And there should be it should never be something that she has to, like, address. Like, yes, I belong to my mom, or yes, I belong to my dad.
1: Um, Yes, it makes her feel now, oh, I don't look like them, or I'm more different than they are, which, of course, causes identity issues later on down the line.
0: And our children are, like, different shades. And so um, our younger daughter has a similar skin tone to me and um our older daughter who is darker has made many remarks about wishing she looked more like her little sister because mm. then she would look more like mommy mm. and we get told very frequently that our younger daughter is, you know, my mini me or the spitting image of me, but people say it right in front of my other daughter too, which I know is just like so hard for her because she wants to look like her mom too. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would say a lot of it is ignorance more so than like people being hurtful or intentionally being hurtful.
1: Wow, that's really, that's heartbreaking that she has to experience that, and that you have to address that uh, to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, had the, we've had similar experiences too, because my son is also much lighter, and uh, he too has been called my son, I mean, my husband's look alike. Yeah. And we too have been questioned, especially when he was a baby, he was very light, and people, and I am not very light. And people would say, Is, is that your baby? Yeah. <laughs> I say, Yes, that's my baby. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's aware too uh, that his skin tone is much lighter, of mm-hmm. course, than me. And he's lighter than his sister. So, yes. And we've had to address similar issues with friendships. And he had a friendship end. <laughs> it's funny, after the 2016 election yeah uh, and they had been friends since they were 4 years old and uh so it it was um it was con- it was concerning it's heartbreaking but it was so concerning to me because these are people we go to church with these are people that we've walked along the, in the faith with and it just made me distrustful it made me feel like wow i can sit and open the bible next to you and yet you have these notions about me and my family it was very disconcerting, and uh, yeah, it it made us step away from the church. Of course, there was many other things going on that made us step away from the church, but a lot of it was racial, and yeah. I did not feel that, I didn't feel like I was home. I didn't feel like I was part of the family, so I do understand that. Um, that's a really sad thing that you have to experience, and how do you address that to your
0: daughter? Um. So far, we like up uh, some I'm hoping that she doesn't notice as much as I notice when it comes to like inappropriate remarks and questions. Um, so um I probably have tried to brush over as much as I can, hoping that she won't internalize it. Um, I am more aware of telling her that she is beautiful, um, more so than my younger daughter, um, because I fear that she will grow up believing she's not as beautiful as her sister because, or as beautiful as her mother or however she, however she might be insecure. I'm very aware of that and Mm -hmm. concerned for that.
1: Mm I also wanted to ask you, how did you educate yourself on racism?
0: Um, I think when we started to wake up to like systems of injustice, which is just something that I'd never um, understood before or had never been presented to me before, um, I realized I was going to need to like find some external forms of education because I can't just um, understand it, you know intrinsically Um, so I started listening to some podcasts to start
1: um,
0: (laughs) because it's easiest for me to listen to things than it is to read with all these kids (laughs) Um, so just hearing from um, people who um, have different life perspectives than I do and have had different experiences than I've had and learning about issues that not not just affect the black community but affect you know indigenous people or um you know there's all sorts of issues in this country that need to be addressed not just an issue with black people although we can say that that black americans have experienced you know a unique set of challenges
1: yeah okay and as a white woman what are your fears or anxieties of raising brown children you expressed one which is the coloring or colorism of the uh-huh. skin of your daughters uh, what other um, fears or anxieties do you have
0: um of course I worry about the safety of our boys um I are so my My stepson kind of is a, I don't know, he is a little bit darker skinned than our other boys. Um, And his mom is white also, but it's just sort of the way, and he's older, so I think that, you know, it's still, we still don't know what our little boys are gonna look like when they are men, but um, of course I worry about their safety. Um, and I worry about my husband's safety because I don't want my children to grow up without a dad because he was going five miles over the speed limit. Right. Um, so I worry about that. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, the colorism, um, which, you know, some of your white listeners might not know what colorism is.
1: Colorism is noted as preferential treatment of same race to people, based on the color of their skin, a consequence of the trauma of slavery. When female slaves were raped by their master, European heritage mixed with African heritage resulted in light-skinned offspring and various hues in the Black and Latinx culture today. Exercises such as the brown paper bag test helped steep the affliction of colorism in our culture. The brown paper bag test was to determine whether or not certain people could have certain privileges. Essentially, a brown paper bag was held up to a person and if their skin was lighter than the paper bag, they received entry into certain organizations. If not, they were denied. The inheritance of such thinking is resentment within the race known as colorism. Two documentaries on Oprah Winfrey Network address colorism within the Black community. One is called "Dark Girls," the other one "Light Girls." I placed the link where to find the documentary in the show notes.
0: There's all sorts of um, prejudices within the group itself, too, and my children are going to experience some of that as they grow up. They're not going to be um, they're not going to be included in things that are for black people Um, and they are not going to be included in some things that are for white people. So I worry about their identity issues a little bit, especially um, with our younger daughter who she looks white and um, I worry about people saying things like, wait, that's your dad um you know and her having to explain her having to explain her relationship to her father um we used to joke but there was a lot of truth in it we used to joke when she was like a baby and a young toddler um that if she threw a fit in a store and my husband tried to get her out of the store because she was throwing a fit people were going to think he was stealing somebody's white baby mm. because he just doesn't look like her dad, you know,
1: mm-hmm. right off the bat. Right.
0: Um, so, yeah, I think I, I worry in large part about their identity struggles with where do they belong? You know, mm-hmm. who wants to claim them as part of their group?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, that struggle is very real. And um, I would like to note that the colorism There is that is within the Black community, and then there's also colorism in the White community, as in the lighter you are, the more accepted you seem. Yeah, the safer
0: you are. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: and uh, that is stems all the way through slavery. How they had the darker slaves, which I would have, I fit into the darker group. I would have more than likely been out in the field, and the lighter slaves they had in the house yeah um, because they felt they were more presentable, right. So that is a true, and that, as you said, it's it's still something that happens today, and um, I understand that too, because uh, my children they have to insert themselves in the black community. Yeah, so they have to put forth the effort, and uh, they both have been considered uh, ambiguous. So like people can't really tell. Uh, My daughter, she's been asked if she was Indian, like from Mm -hmm. India, Uh, she was invited to a Latina conference. So you know, there's just, you know, because she's lighter, dark hair, uh, kind of brownish, uh, hazelish eyes. So yeah, they both had to insert themselves. They're not necessarily always just invited. Right. I have to say though, once they start talking, uh, they usually are accepted because they're educated. One uh-huh. thing we really try to do is educate them on their culture and their heritage on both sides. My thing is this: this black um, Black history is really American history because white people were there, and a <laughs> lot of what Black people went through were at the hands of white people, mm-hmm. and um, so. Just, we educate them. So that is a, that's a tough thing uh, that, yes, I will pray with you on that, because that is still a prayer for me and my children, one's in college now, and one's going to be a senior. And that's still a prayer for me. So I do understand that. Well, what are your hopes for their future? I'd have to say, especially now that the awareness, like people are aware, when I When I saw the news and they showed the protests around the world, I was just floored. The Czech Republic was protesting. There was a man in parliament in England who said Black Lives Matter. I I literally broke into tears. I could not believe it. It's like the first time you feel like, wow, I'm really being seen. Yeah. So um, now that we're kind of... At this forefront or the, the stage in the world, what are you what do you hope for their future?
0: Man, um, I, I'll speak as a Christian that I hope the church has a reckoning on these racial issues. Um, I've seen some things that are that are really encouraging. But um, unfortunately, I think the broader Christian community is still having a really hard time grasping that this matters, and that this is not something that um, this is not something that we can put in a separate category. Um, it kind of taints the water altogether. And so we need to address racism from the pulpit. And I hope that um, my children um, can be, I hope that they don't have as hard of a time as we have had to find churches that speak very clearly about their stance on racial injustice. I hope that it would be harder for them to find a church that is steeped in racism then it would be the other way
1: yes i i would agree and that is my prayer also is that the church will repent yeah um that's basically what you're looking for repentance repentance acknowledgement conviction and truly furthering the kingdom of god with the gospel not framed through the lens of a white person yeah, the gospel is not should not be framed through the lens of any one particular race or gender, as uh, Paul tells us in Galatians, you know, we're no longer yes. Jew or Gentiles, male, female, slave or free, you know, we are all one in Christ. We're all united in Christ. And that is also my my prayer and my hope. And uh, to be honest, that's one reason why I've been struggling finding a church because I know what I don't want. Right. Uh, so I've already been there, I've already seen that, it was hurtful, and I don't wanna go back into that. Uh, so my my search is for what your hope is for their future. Yeah. Um, well, I, I did wanna ask, what do you teach your children about who they are in the world? Um, also in that, their identity in Christ.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, so we teach our kids that they are made in the image of God. Um, and we teach them that everyone is made in the image of God. And, um, so it takes all of us to see the fullness of God, Mm -hmm. um, So it's important for us to teach them that because we want them to view themselves as important, but we don't want them to be self-important, you know? (laughs) Um, So we want them to see others as important as well. Um, We just really hope that we are doing a good job at raising empathetic people who Mm -hmm. understand that their experience is not everyone's experience. Mm -hmm. and that um, the way they see and do things might not be the way everyone sees and does things, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think I lost the question, but hopefully we are raising children who um, maybe are just slightly less ethnocentric than the generation (laughs)
1: before them. Right, right. And what you did touch on that, in jesus they're loved accepted yeah for who they are god created them he he knows them he knows their heart he knows what they look like he created them the way they are i did want to read this verse from job 31 it's kind of when job's like questioning what did i do to deserve this you know all this loss that i'm experiencing and one verse really caught my eye uh this morning uh he said um if I dismiss the case of my male or female servants when they made a complaint against me, what could I do when God stands up to judge? How should I answer him when he calls me to account? Did not the one who made me in the womb also make them? Did not the same God form us both in the womb? And that is something I think that really hits the nail on the head as far as the church is concerned. We were all created in the image of God. We are all image bearers. And God is not a God of partiality because he created us all. And uh, we will have to answer to him, how did you treat the fellow humans that I put beside you? And how did you treat your brother and sister that sat beside you? Uh, So I think that's a very important thing for Christians, in particular, uh, to take a look at to set in that there is an accounting for mm-hmm. this.
0: Yeah. What were you gonna say? Oh no! Just as you said, yeah. How did you, how did you care for my image that I, you know, build mm-hmm. the earth with? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And,
1: and how it can be a hindrance to the gospel also. Yeah. Um, if you're just trying to to just i'm just going to save and then that's it there's no there's no true community there's no real relationship and then you're just kind of checking a box and god wants intimacy he doesn't want just okay check the box of what i said for you to do you know he knows your heart and he wants it to come from your heart and i think as christians if we truly grieve what hurts him, I just think about this sometimes and I'm like, what is God thinking when he sees this and how we hurt each other the way we do? Like, how much does that grieve him? And it it just amazes me how people can't see that. Like, and and that's really what makes me determine whether or not I'm going to engage in conversation with people. If they, if I see that they are speaking from the flesh, And no matter how much I try to present to them from the spirit, I know, okay, this is a fleshly conversation that I can't have. This person's not ready to hear me. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I just can pray that the Holy Spirit will begin to work in them, that they will open their ears and open their eyes to the injustice. That's my prayer for the church. Um, But yeah, we are in interesting times and It's hard to see and hear, but it is amazing. I know God is in this.
0: Yeah, it feels like a revival.
1: It really does, yes, yes. Well, um, Colleen, I am so thankful to you for taking the time to um, discuss this very personal yet important issue from your perspective. And um, I know you all are venturing off to other assignments that the Lord has for you. And um, I just wish you and your family much love and mercy and grace of Jesus. And um, that'll conclude our conversation today. Uh, But I just wish you well. And I'll be praying over your children myself.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. And it was nice to chat with you. (laughs) It was great. It was coffee time yeah
1: okay well until next time may you my friends know and feel god's love mercy and grace upon you since this interview colleen and mo are off to another divine assignment in new york city where mo will be a church planting catalyst please pray god's mercy grace and blessing over them and their family as they make their new home in harlem In the show notes the two documentaries dark girls and light girls can be found on own at uh, www.oprah.com slash find own a link to an interesting and impactful article on colorism from time magazine and anxiety and black americans how to cope with anxiety and racism also a link in the show notes don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your pods. Connect with me on Instagram at Robrina Rettle and my GRIT Podcast Facebook page and my blog robrinareto.wordpress.com. The podcast is produced by me, Barbina, and Handcrafted Studios. Original music by Handcrafted Studios composer, Michael Coffey. Until next time, keep your grit up by getting real while immersed in truth.